Welcome to the Live Explore podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit like and subscribe. Welcome everyone. I'm Sean Payne, co-host of the Live Explore Build Better podcast. I have my other co-host with me, uh, Isaiah Chass. Isaiah, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. And I have Katie uh, McCammon today with me, the president of Co-Housing Solutions. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Um, uh, as I was mentioning, before the camera started rolling, this is like a really cool opportunity how this uh, this came about. I know that Isaiah reached out to you. You happened to just be coming down in the area for the holidays, and you were kind enough to come on our podcast and talk about uh, what you do that way. So we're really looking forward to it because it seems like uh, uh, you do a lot of cool stuff within housing that way. Well, certainly keeps life interesting. Right, right. <laughs> so so let's jump into it. What is co-housing uh, in general? So Yeah, co-housing is a, a concept concept about creating an intentional neighborhood okay. where people actually know each other and the intent is to collaborate together to you know not just be separate boxes next to each other mm-hmm. but actually to create a village in right. essence right and so the the key components of it is that um, co-housing is that you have your own private home mm-hmm. you know whether that could be a small studio or a four-bedroom house you know the but that you so you have your own private space and it's more than just a room right so you have your, and uh, extensive common facilities um, and then people coming together with the intent to you know really collaborate together to make a better place for everybody very right. community mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly so let's go a little bit more into the uh, development model uh, mm-hmm. when you have your home are you are you, are you, you are selecting kind of like how you want to live that way and, and, and building it out. And then can, can you explain a little bit about how that, how that, that process goes about? Um, well, I think the, you know, when you, what, we, oh what we end up with at the end of the de- construction process is that it's owned as a condominium uh-huh. with a homeowners association. Okay, right. So that way you can get all the competitive mortgages you fit into the way America buys houses. Okay. Right. And so and that, I think, is really, for me, that, that's important. That was the way most people buy houses is uh-huh. you need to be able to get a mortgage. And, right, right. Right. So we, I decided long ago my life was not long enough to reinvent the way Americans buy homes and sure. to really try to fit in that right. system. So, but the, the unique thing is that, you know, still to this day, I've been doing co-housing for over 30 years now is that most communities are started by people who want to live in such a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we're really talking to people about, well, well, sorry, there's nothing built in your area. Right, right, right. <laughs> now you get to become a real estate developer. Right, right. And that's a, you know, that's a big ask for people because really, you know, the large majority of people, they, they just want the option to be able to buy into a more community-oriented neighborhood. Uh-huh. Um, and that's you know, not generally been available across the country. Though we are growing, there's more communities all the time, so. Right, right. So so just just to kind of rehash that, so someone, it, it's really not that much different than someone that's living in a traditional condominium that way in terms of how it's structured, so. so. No, the actual structure is very much. What's, what's different is uh, we meet uh, monthly, and so in most, you know, you get at least half the community at any given meeting, that people are really involved, uh-huh. they actually care. Um, and so, like, I live in Nevada City co-housing up in the foothills there. It's 34 homes. They're two, three, and four-bedroom townhomes. They're all attached. But I know everybody on a first-name basis. I could sort of walk down the walkway and 
tell you everybody a little bit of everybody's story. Right. And right. so that makes it really easy to plug in, to support each other, you know, to do fun things together, but also help in hard times. So on, on that note, what what brought you to co-housing and, and what brings others to co-housing? Is it something that people know about previously and search out for it or is it um, they stumble across it and then fall in love with the idea what I guess yeah that's how a, is, how's that good process question. well I'm just amazed not everybody knows about co-housing but they don't I'm constantly continuing I've been talking about it forever right um, so I mean sort of my claim to fame is uh, making up the word co-housing so my ex-husband ex-partner and I we were both uh, architecture students in Denmark Oh, wow, okay. And many years ago, and that's where we came across this concept. Uh, the Danes are pretty sophisticated in their housing models, and they really tie sociology and how people live to mm. how they build housing. And, you know, as a, a young architect, looking at how I was going to combine a professional career and having a family, it was just like a bing. Oh, there it is. And I, I just assumed that everybody back in the States knew all about this, right? But then turned out nobody did. Right, right. And so that was the source of our, our book, which really introduced co-housing to the English-speaking world. Oh, how interesting. So that's, that's how people know about it. Uh, it all really goes well. There's been various editions of the book over the years. But, uh, you know, we d quickly figured out that um, the Danish term, Bofelskeber, wasn't really going to catch on. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, you know, when we were, you know, doing our research in Denmark, the the Danish research institutes were like, so what are you guys going to call this in English? Um, so we did a bunch of brainstorming and came up with co-housing. So when I was on your website, uh, my mom's from Norway. Ah, uh, uh -huh. So uh, when I was on your website, just like looking at it, it was it, it, I was thinking about how my cousin lives over in Oslo. So uh, so we're outside of Oslo that way. Uh -huh. So like it, it, it has that feeling definitely that way of that, that Scandinavian uh Design of how he he lives in like like a co housing project. Yeah. So so it has that. that mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminded but me I of think that, so. I think the thing that really clicked for me with the Danish model is um, so like you know sixty five percent of Danes live in single family homes, mm -hmm. and that it was a model that wasn't around a government program, but that they literally what happened there is very much what happened here in the U S where people were, you know, looking at, you know, well, I'm, you know, working hard to buy this, the single, you know, the Danish-American dream. The, um, there's got to be something better. And particularly as, as, you know, traditional roles were shifting, women are going into the workplace, there was just... And so, literally, people started gathering together to create their own neighborhoods. Right. And so, to me, it was like, oh, you know, if I have to write a new housing policy and get it through Washington, I don't know that I can get that done. Right. But this is the way America's always been settled. It's the way with the West was settled, is find other people who are interested in what you are, and we can do that. Right. And so that's what I think. Um, so with both the sort of finished, the, you know, that we learned a lot about the design of how you design for community and such, but this idea that people could just get together and do it, that you didn't need a government program, that you didn't need to change zoning, that you didn't, you know, that if, if the... If the market's not providing what you want, go create what you want. Uh, and, and that's, in essence, what we've done with the co-housing in the United States now. 
That's that's very cool. That's that's very cool. Um, what are some of the projects that you're uh, uh, that are currently under construction that you're working on or involved with? I should say. Yeah. So I I, I work as a development consultant right, now. Right, right. I, I started as an architect and. Then I became a developer, and now I work as a development consultant. So I actually work all across North America. Um, and so I could give you the, you know, the full spectrum of what's happening in COAS, uh-huh. including in Canada. But the, the Bay Area, I mean, I, so our uh, architecture firm was based in Berkeley for years and mm-hmm. before moving up to the foothills. So I came out of, came, I'm a UC Berkeley architecture grad, mm-hmm. so came out of that world. And... Um, and so uh, the first community we moved in to, the, our first community, was Doyle Street Co-Housing in Emeryville. Okay. So it's a converted warehouse, 12 units, condominiums. Um, we moved in with a one-year-old, uh-huh. and uh, it's still going over 30 years later. So. Oh, very cool. So there is these older communities, but right now what's really exciting, actually, is we have, I'm working on three different projects between West Sacramento, uh, Berkeley and Fremont that are all very urban co-housing and I, I, I'm excited about them because I think it kind of breaks the mold of what people think a community needs to look like and, and certainly you know Northern California's had long long history of communities right you know but these are you know these are podium buildings so they're you know four stories elevators um, condos, you know, on a half an acre. So we're talking, you know, 30, 36, 32, they're all in that range on a half an acre. Uh-huh. Uh, so they're very contemporary look. They fit within the urban fabric. They get people in the middle of walkable neighborhoods. And they have a really strong sense of community. So because, you know, what otherwise people are doing is they're, first of all, nobody's building condos. That's a whole nother story. Um, but, you know, you could b- move into a lot of hip, cool new urban rentals. Right, right. Um, do you know your neighbors? Yeah. Right? You know, right. I mean, what really scared me is when people started telling me, it's like, oh, oh yeah, well, if there's someone in the hall, I just don't go out right then. Mm-hmm. I kind of, oh, oh, I'll wait till they're gone. So we're living more and more closely together uh-huh. and knowing each other less and less. Right. And so this is sort of flipping that and saying, let's take advantage of living next to each other and really you know, create community out of it. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, so um, the, the West Sacramento project is called Washington Commons, and it's under construction right now. So it's 35 units, four stories. It's a block off the river. So it's really an interesting neighborhood uh-huh. where a lot going on and sort of ever-growing pathways along the river. That it whole West like Sac is like in a whole interesting redevelopment area. Right, yeah. It's really like uh, we went out there for uh, an event. And, yeah, I mean, there was just tons of activity, lots of people on bikes and scooters. And um, it's really changed in the last few years that It's way. really and changed. It, it's going a cool way. Like yeah, I'm, no. I'm, I'm like kind of... Interesting to see where it goes from here. Oh, and I, I fell in love with this site the first time I saw it. Right, right. And uh, we, we actually bought it from a friendly developer. And, um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's so walkable. You can walk to the Amtrak station and come right into the bay. Right. You know, you've got the downtown Sacramento Farmer's Market, the Crocker Museum, all those pathways. So it's a, so they're, they'll be moving in, in in February. Wow. So that's, you know, I, I work with these communities from before they even have land. Okay. Right. And so right. I was there when they we got a connection to a piece of land and got it tied up and 
you know, been through it all the way. So right, right. So, you know, c- could we jump back to something you said about zoning, where you don't need to change zoning? Can, can you go into that a little bit? Because uh, in a community that I feel is overzoned, I'd be concerned about like you know, I think there'd be hurdles here to 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 for a project like this. We're we're, we're uh, redoing our general plan right now in the city of Petaluma, and we're looking at like. Uh, redoing zoning, like uh, uh-huh. should cover potentially eliminating single-family zoning, like you know, like uh, so, oh. like, yeah, so, but as of right now, like uh, just tell me, just can you can you go into that a little bit about like what you've you've experienced? And it sounds like it hasn't been an issue for you in, in that regard. Well, I I, I learned long ago that uh-huh. trying to increase density is a way to really make it hard. So I. And, you know, so the, my clients are mostly people who want to live in co-housing. Uh-huh. And they're putting up their hard-earned cash to fund the development phase. Okay, right. So, you know, I don't want to drag them through sure. a highly risky situation. Right, right, right. right and right. so, um, but I think, so a really good example is actually one of the older communities just up the road from you is Frog Song in Katati. Okay. So that's 20 years old now. And that, That's one of yours? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and we, I was actually the developer. Our firm was the architecture. And we, um, so that's a, just about two-acre site. I think it's 2.3 acres, something in that. And it is 30 units plus a commercial space right along Old Redwood Highway. And so there, so like many of um, my, the communities I work on, we took the existing underlying density and submitted it as a planned unit development. Uh huh. Okay. So we're kind of we don't want to do lots. Mm-hmm. We want to, you know, we want to look at it as a whole. Right. Okay. Right. But, uh, you know, fighting trying to increase density is very difficult and not I think it's not something I so I try to avoid that. I see. Okay. So, but like this West uh, Washington Commons of West Sacramento. There, the zoning was already in place. Sure. Right? So that we could go to 12 stories. Right. You know, that didn't make sense for us. So, right. to four stories. Right. But the right. urban projects are, I mean, when you get into zoning, I could talk a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think one of the things that's really interesting so, in a, like, take Frog Song as an example, where you have an underlying zoning that is hitting your density, right? Most developers are going to go in and build the largest units they can, you know, so whether it's the two or three story townhouse now, sure, you know, but they're trying to max out their square footage because right. a housing budget is all about maxing out your sellable square footage. Right. Um, with co-housing, one of the things is people, there's two different things to drive it. One is people want to live in smaller homes. Um, and and you and then have the common facilities as sort of the extra space, right? Right. But the other thing is that within these communities, I would say every single one of my client groups has always wanted more diversity than we were able to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so one of the key things is having a diversity of unit types, right? So right. I would say like Frog Song is a small two-bedroom, one-bath up to a four-bedroom townhouse, uh-huh. right? And so... But but within the density there, we couldn't increase the number of units, mm-hmm. right? So you're building, you're ultimately building less square footage than a developer would in most of in those situations. But you're limited by a number of units per acre. 
Right, right. Right, which is the suburban zoning. Mm-hmm. What's really exciting is when, as we get more urban zoning, is that we can do smaller units and do more units because it's a massing. It's like we need this setback, you've got a height limit, we need, you know, so, but within that, you can cut it up. So instead of doing a whole bunch of three, you know, three bedroom units, we found in Washington Commons a much stronger interest in one and two bedroom units. So uh-huh. there are a variety of sizes. So that actually works great because you can do the economics of smaller homes, smaller condos, but and still make it work. Okay. Whereas the number of units per acre you're just always fighting because it's like, yeah, I, I, I run my budget sometimes just to test my budgets. I'll run one that's like, well, what would a regular developer do here? Uh-huh. Right. Oh, yeah, well, that works. I see what they would do. But we just don't want to do all big units. We want to do these small ones and make it more affordable to people. So Sure, sure. On the topic of zoning, going slightly in another direction, being that co-housing is such a, a large sense of community and I would imagine a lot of the residents do things together. Do you have a lower um, parking spot per unit than typical developments? And we, we just talk about parking a lot. Yes, and, no, parking, I mean, parking drives everything, really. So, right. Well, uh, so I'm a believer that you gotta be real about what people really have. Um, and so very often in that early design phases, the workshops, we do a series of design workshops. Mm-hmm to get through the schematic design for your planning submittal. And we're working with, you know, it's a smaller version of what will eventually, the group, so it's not gonna be 30 families generally at that phase, but you know, 10 or 12 families that you're talking to. And they, so we'll do a car count, you know, what are you moving in with? Because I don't wanna pretend people don't have cars they really have, mm-hmm. right? And so that's really where we're trying. So so. Back to Washington Commons, interestingly, first time I'd ever, now it starts to happen more often, but I almost died and fell on the floor when first conversation with the director of planning, his comment was, just don't over park it. And so for the first time we're seeing in cities, not minimum parking <laughs> requirements, but maximum parking requirements. That's a great change. Right? It's amazing. I mean, I'm kind of, my head still spins. Right? right, right. So we were actually fighting on the, the other project is um, uh, co-housing in the Jewish context. So it's a Berkeley Mashav. Okay. And there we were actually fighting the city of Berkeley to add more parking spaces in the same space. Right, right. I mean, I do think, um, you know, we are you know, we're, we're not New York or San Francisco. Those might be the places. But if you're going to sell condos at market rate prices, I think in most places you need to pro- provide at least one per unit off-site parking space. Uh, right. I, don't, I think you can do rentals in a different way, but I think, you know, we're looking at people who, sure. you know, they're plan to live there for a long time. And, I think that's what we've heard other developers say recently too. Is is that's what's needed for market rate that way? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so so kind of like talking about parking. Can you can you talk about like some of the the challenges you face or or some of the things that make projects sometimes not feasible or something of that nature? What are like, like the main hurdles that you face that way? You know, parking's being one of them. But but can you go into some of the other things uh, that way? So. Well, I think I think the first hurdle is because developers are not building co-housing. Mm-hmm. Um, which, so when I, when I was uh, acting as a developer, I initiated projects 
and still had the full body of, of resident involvement in the design process. So I actually think there's a very good model for that, which um, where developers do the feasibility, tie up the land, know you've got a viable project, and then instead of just going forward and working out how you think people want to live with an architect, is to, and, and with all due respect, I, I hang with a lot of developers and architects. Sure. They're a really bad sort of, if you want to say what your life is and how you think other people live, they, they live different lives. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that's who's figuring out how people, America wants to live is a little challenging. So, but at any rate, but that, um, so then, so the first hurdle is talking to potential buyers uh-huh. and getting them to commit to a community that is, you know, it's four years out before right. you can build it. Wow. Before you can actually move in. And that's just a normal development process. I mean, I don't think the development sure. process for co-housing needs to take any longer than anything else. Right, right. But that's what it really takes. Yeah, yeah. It would be, it would be six here in Petaluma, but we're not going to do Yeah, that, so. <laughs> or longer. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so. Right, so that, so... <laughs> And yet that is so <laughs> critical. So anytime you're trying to build something that is not being built out there, that you don't have a bunch of comps on that you can't, you know, you want to get it financed, you got to show you got buyers. Right, right. And so that was one of the really early things, you know, I figured out is like, we have to go find the buyers because that's what we can take to the bank. Right. That's what's going to get a construction loan. That's what talks developers into partnering with us is that we have to show there are real buyers who are willing to pay, you know, what it really cost. Right. Well, I mean, I, so, think, I think that's such an important question, just to back up a little bit, because I think there's a lot of developers out there that co-housing model doesn't cross their, like, train of thought because they don't think the buyers are out there. But you're able to find buyers and, and wait out the entire entitlement and, and build process that way. So obviously, I mean, you know... Uh, uh, I'm in real estate, so getting a buyer to hang around for four years is like 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 an amazing feat. You should be given an award, right? Like like I well, can do that. But but yeah. there's obviously the desire to have these type of projects that people are willing to wait wait four years to build them out. And I just want I want developers to hear that because uh, I think I don't I don't think like this model even crosses their mind where it's like the it's you know yeah. it's just you learn the single family home model. And then this is like, yeah. this is like Danish to them, you know, no, it is. I think it's pretty, and, and, you know, really comes from, you know, I, we didn't, I don't have any choice. I didn't right. have the money to develop projects. I wanted to live in co-housing. I need to find other people. Right. Right. So, right. so from that was, I think an early lesson learned. And I think still is, you know, important to like prove you've got a market deliver buyers. Right. So right. getting buyers right. in, I think the other thing is, we're not I'm not I'm not showing people a bunch of flashy renderings I'm you know working with groups where there are no drawings and they need to put in money to get to a design right 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 and so they are buying into a concept not that floor plan or that look but a but a, a deeper level of what this neighborhood could really be right and helping to determine what are the priorities there so that's kind of my question about like the workshop. So like, do you take like the feedback from the initial investors and then do you create the project and, mm-hmm. and like kind of say like, Hey, we want this feature here is really important to us. And so they're not only like they're, they're, they're getting a, a somewhat of an influence on the, on, on the design then as well. Totally. So, right. And that's yeah. what allows us to really push the boundaries. Right. 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 Because I think every single time I've ever seen a developer without a buyer's group, 
take the concepts of co-housing is they water them down. Uh-huh. But when I can walk into a workshop where I've got, you know, 15 households, they're actually paying for the workshop too, to, and say, okay, so you can do this or you can, how far are you willing to walk? Right. Do you want garages? Do some right. garages need to be attached? Mm-hmm. This is what it gives up in the site plan. Because really, a neighborhood, the most important thing is the site plan. Mm-hmm. Right? That's where you make all the big decisions. Right, right. Um, so, and and are, if you're willing to park over here and walk to your house over there, we just opened up all the space over here for gardens. Mm-hmm. And this becomes much safer for kids. Sure. So that, right. that's another, right. you know, really key design thing. Get the cars out of the middle because uh-huh. that just kills everything right. and takes a lot of space. Right. right. So, um, but, but instead of me just saying, well, that's what I want, or I'm sure people will love this, I can test that market. Uh-huh. And what I find is when you really get those buyers market and they understand. So part of it's an education process about the trade-offs and priorities and costs that they actually will push to go further, not back off. Right. So then it gives us the confidence that we can go further. Right, right. Right, that we can we can push things that you wouldn't push. If you're doing a spec project, nobody takes that kind of risk. So Sure. So so with with those buyers like when you when you locate uh, I have so many questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let, let's say uh, like let's say you locate a project are, are those buyers coming from like that area? Is it because you have a following that they're like, hey, I want to be part of this project? Or are you marketing to outside the area? Like where, where, like what is the market? Like, like is yeah. it someone that's like, hey, I live here and this sounds incredible and I want to be here? Or is it someone like, you know, that just knows about the projects that you put together and it's like, hey, I want to be, you know, I like this area? Yeah, go into that. It is. I was thinking the entire time. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's, so. well, it's very much a combination. And I'm sure people reach out to you to, to come in. You know, so, like, you already have a little base. Of, yeah, so that's a little yeah. of the questions. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, most, you know, I think it's most communities get off the ground because of local sure. interest, right? Right, right. But there is this other part of the market that has now been following co-housing for years, and they're looking for where they want to land. And so this that's particularly true in the the, the boomer market. So uh-huh. the boomer market kind of grew up with co-housing, right? right? So right. and so uh, I talk to people all the time who, you know, they were part of some forming co-housing group 20 years ago and it never got off the ground or they wanted to be and they couldn't move or whatever got in the way. They couldn't quite make it work. And then they're getting close to retirement and they are like, oh, Let's look up what's around here, right? Uh-huh. And so I know people who I meet run into people who are really doing the whole West Coast or the whole East Coast and looking at communities up and down the coast as they think about where they want to land in this transition and mm. to, uh, where they have more flexibility. Right, that makes sense. So, but if you take the Washington Commons community, um, and Berkeley Mashab is, is similar, there's about half of the community is local, came out of the Sacramento area. We have a lot of people moving up from the Bay Area. Uh-huh. Um, and then a few people who are moving, you know, from other parts of the country. You know, they have kids in the area or sure. they're, you know, something that draws them to that area. So. Right, right. And then do they, do you have a location in mind prior to having the buyers or do you have a workshop and then they determine what spot would be a good fit? Well, my clients are mostly forming co-housing groups. So they have, you know, they come to me with anything, you know, one to four people and they want us get a community going 
where, where you know, generally where they're living, not now, mostly. Mm-hmm. And then we are, you know, starting a site search, right? So, so then it's much easier to organize a community around a specific site sure. than the sort of general idea. You can do a lot of education, get people thinking about it, but you can only take it so far. Well, there's only so many sites that you can right. And, and so that's, I mean, a lot of my work is helping people understand, you know, where are the development opportunities where they are. Right. Right. And what, and so... I think I'm still the one who's most in love with the Sacramento, the West Sacramento site, Washington Commons, because I saw that property and I just like, you know, it's not about the land. It's about where you're going on your walks and what do you have access to? How much do you have to get in a car? And I just thought, oh, my God. You know, this this is the, a really fabulous site. So kind of kind of going into that, like the fifteen minute neighborhood. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what you saw there was just the location and the yeah. ability to get around everywhere that way. Yeah, and a neighborhood that's really improving, and you know, more and more. I mean, the the whole government West Sac government is really interesting. They're a pretty dynamic group right now. Right, right. And so, as you said, things are really changing there, and it's really an up and coming place. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Uh, so on that project, or, or like, on, I guess on any project, are you, are you working with a local developer? Like, uh, we kind of got off this topic, but like, who, who's more receptive to these projects? Is it the local developer or like, I know you have quite a following and, and you know, you've amassed quite a following. So I would think the nas- maybe the national builder is more. No, it's no. not the now. No, I mean, this really, is a scale just, and it's a scale okay. we desperately need, which is very right. regional, right? The smaller infill projects. So my, my goal is, you know, the Bozeman community, they're moving in, Bozeman, Montana, they're moving in right now, and there's it's 43 units, and that's kind of the top end of size. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'm really, uh, generally I'm looking for anything between 20 and 40 units. Okay. It's a really good size for community where you can know everyone. Right. There's a, still a high level of accountability. There's enough people that there's some mixing and match, you know. Right. You know, so that you get, so that's, a, so that's what I'm looking for is that size, and that size, the national National builders don't really take much interest. Sure, sure. So um, a a lot of what I do is actually, and this was true with Washington Commons, is uh, get a kind of group up and going Uh and get them real, Uh right? So I get to introduce the hard knocks of real estate development. Uh And yeah, this really is going to cost that much. And yeah, we really need to discipline this if we're going to hold that budget, right? So I run the first budget, start to lay out what I think are realistic target sales prices. And, and then, um, you know, look for a development partner. Uh-huh. So these all three projects that I just mentioned, Washington Commons, Berkeley Mashav, and Mission Peak Village down in Fremont, those were all communities that I started working with. And then uh, the same developer is a developer out of Portland who I did a, commu- a project with in Portland, PDX Commons. Okay. So there, they do sort of uh, a whole range of development, you know, rentals, offices, mm-hmm. but it is that scale. And so I got to know them with the PDX Commons project, and they're really, you know, the urban housing is something they're really good at. Mm-hmm. And so they are the development partner for all three of those projects. Um, but that's unusual, actually, because we don't have enough developers to do that. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, my other communities finished one up uh, north of Seattle uh, in Anacortes and one in Bozeman where, you know, I go out and find a developer to partner with the group um, and help secure financing and oversee construction. Right. 
And so in those, they're not a co-housing specialist. Hopefully they know multifamily housing. That's what I'm looking for is I'm looking for good, solid, local, regional, multifamily housing partners okay. that see the, you know, the opportunity. Because I think that the interesting thing about the development model is it's really a risk mitigation model, right? And so the community is putting in a significant amount of the money, mm -hmm. the cash, the, uh, and the developer is bringing ties and the ability to guarantee a construction loan and to really manage construction. Mm -hmm. um, but you going back to where we started with the group and them hanging in for four years, they're already a community. They haven't moved in yet. Right. They know each other. They're showing up for each other. Uh -huh. And so just, you know, going back, the Bozeman project, I mean, you know, it's been awful. Construction's been awful through the pandemic. Right. right. I mean, you know, just biggest price increases I had ever seen on well-managed projects. Yeah, I was, I was going to wonder, like, you know, have you ever had any projects that are no longer feasible because of construction and building costs? Going yeah, forward? no, it's so been it's, it's been, been really challenging. Right, and right. most of our communities actually got through that. Uh -huh. But then in um, and then then interest rates doubles. Right. Right, and so particularly for, you know, you have some people who are just hanging on the edge. They made it through price increases. Right, right. And then we've lost a few more. But mm. really, the large majority. So here, you know, this Bozeman is they're moving. They're literally moving in as we speak. Mm -hmm. And so they hung in there through the price increases, working with the local developer builder. Mm -hmm. And and we, we have lost a few people this last year with the interest rates right but the large majority of the group is totally there and when they move in they already know their neighbors that's pretty cool that's right cool. And so, so i mean let's go they've hung in through like the perfect storm like yeah. pretty much like like not just like one or two bumps but it's it's been very it's uncomfortable been so, tough. Yeah, yeah so i so. think that's where you know there's a real upside for a developer mm -hmm. is you know you've got a you know a sticky product right where mm -hmm. People, it's it's not just about the floor plan or the finishes, right? But you know, I want to live next door to Scott and his kids because oh, cool. my kids know his kids that's now, cool. right? Right. And that's where the real juice is and the real value is, which means that you can work through. You know, value engineering is never fun, uh -huh. but you're you can work through it with a group of buyers where their goal is bigger than that countertop. Right, right. And if we need to give up, you know, that countertop in order to keep, you know, Fred and Jane in, uh -huh. then we can give that up. Oh, that's Makes really sense. cool. So That's really cool. What's your experience been with, with developers, I guess, feedback-wise, post-development? Uh, I'd imagine that if a developer hasn't had experience with this type of model, it, it's something scary because they probably have a, a, a proven strategy that they are able to profit on and jumping at something new that they haven't done before could be scary. Yeah, they should not do it without me. Sure. Well, <laughs> Which is kind of how I see my role now. Mm -hmm. It's because I do. I think there's a lot of false assumptions. Sure. Uh, people go down. It's like, why would you do it that way? You know, so I think... Um, so, but I think one of the really exciting things, and you know, I've been doing this for 35 years now, mm -hmm. right? And so um, we have a lot of, you know, really good best, you know, lessons learned and, and systems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have an entire 
computer full of, oh yes, your options and upgrade system. Here's how we do that. You know, right. here's how we get. And I, and I think a lot of that is you know talking to the group about here's, here's what you need to understand because you got smart people who just don't understand real estate development. But if, so they need to understand what drives the budget, right? Mm -hmm. Things like that. But um, but then once you know if you can explain that. So I think. We, d we have systems now, right? Sure. And I guess my question on that was more, were there any developers that were weary to be involved with? with oh, most developers. And then after the fact that they, they would come back and totally do another project, seeing the success that... Yes, well, I think UDP out of Portland is, so now, you know, they've done, they did a project in Spokane with me, and now we have three in the works. I've got seven. So they're, they are the sort of repeat developer on how sure. they... Um, and, you know, and, I, and we had, uh, it's just that we're kind of, some have retired out. So uh, there's a guy named Jim Leach on the Front Range in Colorado, and he was really the first co-housing developer. He was my mentor. Um, and, you know, literally pretty much every community on the front, in Colorado, mm -hmm. Jim was involved in, and initiated many of them. Wow. So, so you, you have a really unique perspective because you're, you're pushing a unique model in multiple states. So, in terms of like what what like pushback and Canada in, in Canada, wow. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, let's throw throw them into the mix. What what pushback have you received from like different communities? Like, would did Bozeman, Montana, give you you know like all of a sudden you have. Uh, someone from California coming in with a co-housing concept like were people scratching their heads did you have like the NIMBYs there that that like you know, just talk about those experiences a little bit I'm kind yeah of I mean I, you know I'm, I'm not, not not to like badmouth any right neighbors or anything but like you know each community has their own unique challenges that way right and I'm more curious like compared what are other states compared to like to California that way, I guess? Oh, well, I have, you know, I, I, I earned my chops in California. Right, right. I thought that's how, <laughs> it's so much easier anywhere else. <laughs> is it really? Right. It really is. Uh -huh. It uh -huh. really is. When people under, once people, what I think of as a totally normal planning approval process to get to an approved tentative map and design review in California, uh -huh. other states are like, oh my God, they just want to see the site plan and your storm drainage. Right, and here we have CEQA. Yeah, uh, and, and they, I mean, they have some version, you know, the Oregon, they, they all have some version of environmental, but California, sure. the idea, and it's, you know, it's totally typical in California to get a project approved, I have to show the paint colors and the detailing around the windows. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if I have a project yet. Right. right. Uh, really, can you approve it and just tell me if you can live with this parking and this massing? And then we could work out those details, right? right? So the amount of money that you need to invest to get to a planning approval, California beats everybody. Right. Well, except New York. Stay out of New York State. Okay. Yeah, we won't Just don't, don't even try New York State. <laughs> I, th I think that's important for people to understand, though, because that, that's part of the reason why the costs are higher on the purchase, because all of those have to be absorbed by uh, whoever is developing the property. Yeah, and when you think about it, you know, from a small regional builder or a co-housing group, the risk to get to, we have the political approvals to move forward. Right. Uh, yes, right. you know, yeah. I tell groups, you know, you're you're probably $300,000 in at that point. Right, right. You know, if you're lucky. Uh, so. Yeah. I would think that you 
so uh, I mean, you were you 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 definitely were part of. I, I know you don't like to talk about higher dens- density, but it seems like you're part of that movement. Uh, well, yes and no. So you know, I, like, you know, I, I work at all levels, sure, all densities, sure, right? Sure. I've always been. I I love being in the heart of things. That I love walk walkability to me right. is really important. So we probably found you know one of the only sort of properties at the edge of Nevada City. You know, Nevada City's all of three thousand people. Mm-hmm. Is that right at the edge of Nevada City, I can walk to downtown. I walk to my office. So I found like the perfect rural walkable right. uh, property there. So that's personally just in my life. Sure. The more I can walk, the better. So Right. No, no, but, I, I agree with you. But, it but just, at all densities. So, so let me just, because um, this might be a really interesting concept that should be done in Sonoma County here, is the... Um, I'm working on a project right now called Rooted Northwest, which Mm -hmm. is north of Seattle. That was initiated by a group that their their underlying goal was to save farmland. And so they bought a 240-acre dairy farm. And the underlying density was five-acre lots. So it works out, you could build 70 units which is what most developers is a fast-growing area. They would have just done large lot subdivision. Right, right. What we're doing is um, a village, clustered village, that saves most of the land. So the, the, it's in planning right now. So the idea is two adjacent communities mm-hmm. that will save 220 acres as farmland. Right, right. And so, so we don't have to give up the housing. Sure in order to save the farmland, mm-hmm. right? We just need to cluster it. And, sure. You know, so little villages. Right, right, right. Right, and so I think, so I think there's a lot, There, it plays out in a lot of ways uh-huh. where it allows you, like in a more rural context, to save open space, to stay back from waterways. Sure, sure. And so like a site that could be quite challenging for someone who wants to do single family houses because you can't split it up. Right. Could really work well for us uh-huh. because we're, we want to cluster anyway and we like the open space. So let's say there's, you know, a, a creek and some wetlands. You don't want to, it's a pain in the butt to try to cross it. Mm-hmm. Well, is there enough room we could cluster here? And, and, and that would really be seen the open space as a major amenity for the community. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because we we're much more comfortable with clustering. Sure, that's interesting. Sure. I would have expected it that it would have been more suited towards urban infill, um, just with walkability and and local amenities. Yeah, it goes both ways. I I see the full spectrum, mm-hmm. and I think that's the really exciting thing about you can take the co-housing concept and mm-hmm. adapt it at all these different densities. Right. So right. it's it's really the the concept behind it is very much the same. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, yeah. so yeah, and there's other, there are definitely there's like I really want to be in a really walkable neighborhood, and uh, with you know though I could live without a car. So right. That's, so there there's that group market as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get, I mean, getting into that that uh, I mean, just sustainability and how you address climate change. I mean, once you get even if you're out out of ways, once you get there, you, you don't have the, the 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 as big a need for cars and things like that. So you can get around. Yeah, no, I see. So. You know, I think people are you, you. You spend a lot less time driving. So just as a, an example, because I think as people have a hard time imagining. So in if you live in co-housing and you need an egg, or I could take like my daughter once decided that she wanted to make chocolate chip cookies for uh-huh. the fire guys who were down at the fairgrounds. You know, one of the fires and. 
Turned out, neither our kitchen nor her friend's kitchen had, it wasn't that they were missing one ingredient, they were missing all ingredients for chocolate chip cookies. But that did not stop these co-housing kids. <laughs> they just literally went door to door until they got all the ingredients, <laughs> uh -huh. made the cookies, dropped off some cookies to those who had contributed and took the rest of the fire guys. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, you don't, there's no reason to ever drive to the store for that onion or some eggs because uh -huh. literally, you know, we just have a little email list. Anybody got, last night there was the, I'm looking and there it comes. Somebody wants some cilantro, which I generally don't have, but I had just had leftover cilantro. Oh, that's funny. So I literally walk across the walkway and hand uh -huh. it to my neighbor within, you know, three minutes of them posting oh, that. That's very cool. That's a really interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's just that day-to-day -day play dates, you know, that, you know, we're very active in the larger communities around us also. So it's not that we don't drive, but you don't, the, the need to drive for every single thing and driving kids to play dates, which I swear was God's punishment on women. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, who, who thought that up, right? right? So it gets you back to a neighborhood where you can literally say, just go outside and find someone right. to play with, right? Right, Because it's that sort of, it feels safe, lots of eyes on, mm -hmm. you know, so. Is there anything you see on the local or national level moving forward for the future of co-housing, um, difference, uh, changes coming, or any innovations, anything, I guess, moving forward? Well, you know, I think what I love, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I live in co-housing. I raised my daughter in co-housing. I think it's a great way to raise kids. I think it's a great way to go get old. And I think, you know, I mean, it's been really interesting that while co-housing has been growing up in the United States, there's been this body of research at this, following along the same time, which has now gotten very, very clear that one of our biggest public health issues is isolation. Right. And if you, you know, I remember reading a Time magazine oh, probably two decades ago where they was first starting to talk about that. And really, you just check, check, check. Oh, I could smoke a pack a day to make up for all my community interface here. Mm. You know, that. but we found, and now there's really solid data, just how important interaction friendships and are. Right. And, and yet, in our day-to-day, -day, you know, the pandemic and now working at home has just gotten worse and worse. So it's, you know, people think, oh, those old, lonely people. No, it's at all ages. Yeah, yeah right. Right? Millennials right. and kids in college are, are literally dying of isolation. Right, right. And so it feels, you know, so we have these demographic trends that just feel like do not end up in a very good place. Right. So smaller families, you know, the fastest growing American household today is a single person living alone mm -hmm. at all ages. Right. And yet, what is the most common new house built? Four bedrooms. Right. Right. And, and, and we're dying of climate change. Mm -hmm. right. right. And so this combination just like just look at it, it makes no sense at all. Right. right. Uh, nobody's building really nobody's building small for sale homes. 
It's very uncommon. And it's just the, the way we have set up the economics of housing. Right. So we, we really, if we want to change, I always think, I think developers are, are really just problem solvers. Uh-huh. Right? It's like, okay, here's the market wants that. It's going to cost this. How do I make this work? Right? Right. If we could change the underlying incentives to really actually, you know, really encourage smaller homes, um, encourage people. Like one in California, People are not building these small, we need small condos in every single town mm-hmm. in California. You know, infill condos. Right. And liability is the biggest issue, is stopping it. And so, so we need to look at those issues right. um, in order to change how we build housing. But I think the underlying drivers is just makes this more and more important. And as people, but how do you get people to look at it, right? How do you get it out? It's like you have choices. Right. So I think that's really our ongoing challenge is talking about, you know, there are other options. What I want to do is get co-housing to the point where, you know, you're looking to buy a house and it's just on your list of like, oh, hey, honey, maybe we should look at that co-housing thing that was right. down there. Or maybe we should, I know I really want five acres for the goats or whatever, you know, but it's just one of the things in your, right. you're considering as you look at your housing options. Are, are you saying, I would think that, I think with younger generations, it's going that way. I mean, I think. Like, you know, most, I, I have to say, I'm just. One of the things I'm totally shocked about. New parents are still shocked that it is incredibly isolating to have a baby. Uh-huh. And I'm like, did nobody told you? Right. <laughs> I mean, this has been going on since we stopped living with the larger family. Right. Right. You know, I always think I just think that like the single family home has encouraged that. Right. Like mm-hmm. like if you grew up in that in, in that environment, uh, you know, you just kind of naturally think that's the way to go, right? Like, that's what you've been taught, so you're going to well, go back there, you know? And the, and the other thing is, for most people, your house is your largest investment. Right, right. So it's a very conservative choice. Right. And I think people kind of fall back on old patterns instead of looking yep. at new patterns. No, we see that. What do I really want? And the other thing I'm always, you know, is that people, I think, give very little thought to... When they buy a home, how that determines a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. This goes back to your walkability. Mm-hmm. But people always ask me about, well, you know, what if you don't like the, the people in the community? And I like, and I say, so when you bought your house, did you knock on the neighbors? Right. Did you introduce yourself? Did you know anybody in the neighborhood? Right. right. <laughs> what I'm doing is actually quite conservative. I know all my neighbors. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's really safe. Uh-huh. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Right. And yeah. so, but these are, we people don't, they don't think about their housing in this larger context of how this really determines so much about the lifestyle right. I live. Right. So, yeah. No, I know. So I think I, just a lot of education. We just have to really keep talking about it. Because yeah. I think we now, we know it works. Mm-hmm. You know, there's over 200 co-housing communities across the United States now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the National Co-Housing Association. With if anybody wants to know where where do you, where are their communities, you go to cohousing.org, and there's a great directory of both existing and forming communities. So, and through the National Association, there's a lot of sharing and information. There's a conference in Denver next August. You know, so there's a lot. It's it's a growing movement. It's a though. growing movement, but but getting pe- to be on people's radar right. is a choice. Is always right, right. Is C- continue the challenge. Kind of on that note, can you tell us about the five hundred communities program? Yeah, so the my five hundred communities program is 
um, sort of my way of passing on the lessons learned. Okay. And so it's a year-long training that you apply for and pay for. And then, and I'm looking for people that are they're not interested, they're not just want to build their community, but want to work in this. So it's, I'm really exactly what you're for, saying, kind of getting the message out that way. Yeah, yeah I want to, I'm, I'm trying right. to get to the professionals, right? right? Right. And and so we walk through, you know, we spend the, the year really going through all the different uh, phases of development, uh-huh. and you know, what's the highest and best use for your community group? You know, what's the professionals' role? What are the lessons learned? What are the systems? Um, and so it is. Uh, so I have my current, my new class. I have ten people from around the country. And it's a mixture. So one of the things took me a surprisingly long time to figure out, but there's a whole marketing track. And we've gotten way better at that. Just how do you do sales and marketing in a Mm -hmm. community context? Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's sort of the more project management developer track. Mm -hmm. And the the program is a mixture. Because I think people need to understand the other side to be able to do their piece of it best. Sure, sure. It sounds like that would be a pretty intense program. Like how? Uh, well, you know, most people are working other jobs. Right, and, you know, It's right. not a full time. Right, thing, so. right. But it is. But it I mean, would... what I'm really trying to do is. Um, turns out, I'm really quite fascinated by business models. I, I didn't mean intense in a bad way. I mean, yeah. Like like, you know, like like pretty thorough that way. Yeah. Then, right, no, right, I. Right. You know, I mean, I could talk about this stuff forever. So. Sure. But can they actually put together a business plan of where how they're going to work in this realm and how do you actually get paid for it? You know that sort of thing. Right. So if you're not a developer, if you're a developer, that's a clearer track. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're right, so. sure, certainly, certainly. Uh-huh. Is there anything else that 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 we haven't touched on regarding co-housing that like the message that you'd like to get out there, or anything of that nature? Well, I what I hear from people all the time is they say, "Well, that's a great idea, but I just don't think it's for me." And I think, so first of all, one of the really interesting things is how many introverts live in co-housing. Hmm. Because extroverts don't need it as badly. Uh, interesting, okay. <laughs> right? And so I finally started talking about it because people were like, I just don't know. And it's like, no, you're actually just like us. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I would just really urge people to look at it and give it a try. It's not for uh-huh. everybody. Right. It's sort of a self-selecting process, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, there definitely doesn't work very, but you know, I, I have to say, I feel so lucky living in my community. I have such fabulous neighbors, you know, and, and they bring so many different things. Like my immediate next door neighbor is a native plant specialist, mm-hmm. you know, so I can, he's now taken on the pruning of all the community trees. Right. We have been overwhelmed with apples. And so, you know, everybody's baking apple desserts all the time right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's going on right you're, now. You're right. Yeah, right. So, but it's just, you know, I feel so lucky uh-huh. to, live in in, to live in community. Right. And, and I lived in community, you know, since I was a young mother through being an empty nester, now being a, you know, older single woman. And it has served me in every stage of my life mm-hmm. in ways I couldn't even begin to imagine until I got it. So, so I would just, you know, just be open to seeing is that something. My, my theory is that um, it's not for everyone, but I think at least 50% of the American population, if they woke up in co-housing, mm-hmm. would be really happy. Mm-hmm. But making the choice is much harder for them. Right. Change. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yeah, we, we know what we know. Right. Yep. And anything else feels so. So, but it, you know. 
I just, I look at where we're going and it's just like, I, you know, every time we've had a national crisis or something's gone on that I, I have like, oh, well, it's crazy out there, but I feel so lucky to be here with other people. I can talk it through, we, right. you know, and we are, uh, one of the really exciting things with co-housing is communities continue to evolve, mm-hmm. you know, so I built a bunch of communities before we had EV chargers. Mm-hmm. Every one of those now has EV chargers where the HOA figured out, you know. People wanted that. Yeah. Does PG&E have some money? Where are there some grants? What do we need to put in? And figured out how to bring them into the community. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it really is a model for resilience. How do we live in a, you know, changing climate? It's just so important that, right. that you're not trying to do that alone. Mm-hmm. Very so, cool. Very, very cool. very cool. Thank you so much for for coming here and talking to us and telling us about an, an incredible model. Yeah, yeah. my pleasure. I, not just a model, it's proven to work. Yeah, no, I think that's the exciting thing. We're, I feel like we're at a uh, you know, second phase in the sense that we know it works. We know that mm-hmm. they, you know, these communities are doing great 30 years later. Right. Yeah. Um, and now we just need to make it more available to people. Very cool. Very cool. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Is it go, go on your website? Is, is that? Uh, yeah, go on my website, cohousingsolutions.com. Okay. Great. Uh-huh. Great. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, I encourage everyone to uh, uh, check out Katie and uh, everything she's done in this movement. It's very impressive. So um, thank you again for coming on to our podcast. This has been a great episode. Uh, and uh, if you guys like this, please hit like and subscribe so you guys see future episodes. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. See you guys next time. Welcome to the Live Explore podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit like and subscribe.